0: Spooky Halloween everybody! Welcome back to Tripping Up, a comedy travel podcast. I'm your host, Nina Clapperton, author of Nina Out and About. Today it's time for a spooky Halloween episode all about the paranormal and some interesting ways it can intersect with travel. My guest today is Richard Fenning, an amazing author, but I'll tell you more about him after. Let's dive right into some spooky ghost stories for Halloween. Now, boarding. Hi, Richard. Welcome to Tripping Up.
2: Hi. Thank you very much for having me, Nina.
0: I'm very excited to introduce you to our audience. So, to get us started, I always ask all the guests um, how you travel and why you travel.
2: Well, I spent decades of my life traveling incessantly for work uh, inside an airplane. I was one of those laptop warriors who spend their time incessantly traveling from airport to airport, hotel to hotel, Um, a group of people for whom the kind of notion of a work life balance was some weird antiquated concept that had kind of felt like it was from the stone age. Um, and I did that for many years and saw enormous amounts of the world And sometimes I was able to escape the confines of business travel and go exploring. And whilst it was a tiring and at times exhausting form of life, it also, for somebody who's curious about the world and the sometimes undiscovered or infrequented corners of it, it was a fantastic life.
0: That does sound amazing. I mean, I think, I like that you call it laptop warriors. It's a phrase that I've heard, but I don't think it's used enough anymore. Like I think we've kind of, I don't know, there's so many warriors now that laptop warrior is kind of a bit forgotten, but I love it.
2: <laughs> yeah, the emphasis should be on the laptop rather than the warrior, I suspect. Yes. <laughs> you, you do feel like a band of brothers and sisters of people who whose lives have sort of taken some peculiar turn that means you rarely go home, you spend your entire time, it seems, traveling. I guess probably at its peak, I was doing more for 200 days a year uh, wow. traveling around the world, so... That's many many trips to the moon and back, equivalent of.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it kind of sounds like you were living an astronaut lifestyle, but within the confines (laughs) of our ozone.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Amazing. Well, I'm sure on those 200 some odd days every year, you've picked up an odd souvenir along the way.
2: So the thing that sits on my shelf uh, at home is a rock. And it's a rock that I picked up on an island called St Kilda. And St Kilda sits way off the coast of Northern Scotland, right out into the deep Atlantic, just off the continental shelf of the British Isles. It's probably the most remote place in the British Isles. It's now uh, a nature reserve. Uh, It was inhabited until 1930 and had been continuously inhabited For as long as people have been able to kind of record human existence by an extraordinary community of people who lived by harvesting seabirds off the enormous cliffs St Kilda is essentially a rock that protrudes from the deep ocean uh, and one half of it the half that faces out towards Canada is a sheer rock face uh, and haven and home to numerous seabirds and a weirdly evolved group of islanders lived by harvesting perilously collecting seabirds and their eggs by using homemade ropes to scale thousand meter cliffs to to get at them and um, it's an extraordinary place it's very hard to get to still now Uh, it's uh, a beautiful place it's a spiritual place you feel without wanting to sound excessively spiritual about it you feel as if you're walking among the ghosts of people who lived there for thousands of years until their lifestyle became both unsustainable and incompatible with the modern world in 1930, and they left never to return. Uh, it's a place I've been long fascinated by um, about eight years ago, got the opportunity to visit and brought home one small rock, uh, which I look at every day that I'm at home, and it gives me... A kind of sense of 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 wild places. It gives me a sense of what the human spirit can do. It gives me a sense of um some of some strange corner of the world that I never thought I'd get to, and I did eventually get to. So it has all sorts of it has all sorts of resonant meanings for me.
0: That's amazing. Like I mean, first of all, I was thinking like, a lot easier to bring home a rock than a seabird because that's going to wreak havoc on your house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but For no, sure. I think that's that's really cool because yeah, like um, people often purchase souvenirs, but it's not always the ones that you buy or the ones that are like flashy and I don't know, gilded or something that mean the most. So that's really, yeah. I, and I love that. Yeah, like it's this constant reminder of this beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right, yeah.
0: So is the island, would it be considered part of the Hebrides or is it still?
2: Yes, it is part of the Hebrides. Okay. Um, but you go to the outer Hebrides and then you take you take a boat for maybe four or five hours right out into the deep Atlantic. So for much of the year, it's inaccessible. Um, wow. Actually, there's only one place to land on the island. And unless the wind and the tide is in the right kind of combination, it's almost impossible to get into even for a skilled boat operator. Um, There is a permanent settlement there now of people who kind of manage the nature reserve, um, but you don't have to go far to feel that you're literally on a deserted island. And there are are other, it's a small archipelago of islands and the other ones are completely deserted, but much, much harder to get to. St Kilda itself is hard enough to get to, but the, the outer islands are almost impossible to get to but amazingly were inhabited by a community that was on occasions ravaged by smallpox and ravaged by all sorts of, by famine and all sorts of terrible things um, happened to the community over the centuries. Um, but nevertheless, extraordinary hardy people, um, they, various stages in their life became extraordinary fundamentalist in their religion to the point that that almost killed them because they became so preoccupied by prayer and religious reflection that they forgot to do any harvesting or farming or anything else. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a strange quirky tale uh, and there are some very good books about it. And it's, as I say, hard to get to only a handful of people get there every year. And it's as remote as you can be in the overpopulated British Isles.
0: I think yeah i think the british isles are a little bit like canada that way where it's like the southern bit is kind of where you'll find most of us and then as it gets further and further it tends to get sparser and sparser
2: yeah yeah uh, yeah well that's certainly that's certainly the case for canada and yeah it's hard to imagine sometimes in the uk that there's anywhere left like that but yeah it's it's mm-hmm. there
0: that's amazing well i'm sure that i mean that alone I know so many like 18th century Scottish uh, travel writers that had some mishaps getting to the Hebrides. So I'm sure that in all your travels, you've also had an interesting mishap. And I'd love if you would share it with us now.
2: I've had loads, actually. Funnily enough, lots of things have, uh, have, have gone wrong. One of the strangest things that ever happened to me um, was I was in Indonesia, in the island of Java, Uh, in a mountain resort or a hill resort uh, called Tretas, which uh, I'm sure many of your listeners will have visited. It's very pretty. It was when the Dutch colonised Java. They created the sort of hill station of Tretas because it's slightly cooler than the kind of coastal, tropical, uh, somewhat and sometimes oppressive heat of the rest of Java. And my wife and i booked into what looked like an extremely nice hotel this was before the internet so it was a question of looking in a guidebook and finding a hotel and the pictures in the guidebook of this hotel looked amazing and so we went and checked into this hotel which was enormous hundreds of bedrooms large swimming pool large restaurant large grounds probably a 400 person guest hotel and we were the only people there and the place was fully staffed and completely set up as if hundreds of people were coming to the hotel and we walked in the front door and it was really really spooky and strange and we stayed one night there and it was just like there had been some apocalypse and we were the last people left on the planet apart from the people running the hotel um so the following day we walked down the road and around the corner was another hotel where people were playing tennis and swimming in the swimming pool and sitting in the restaurant and sitting in the coffee shop and laughing and joking and carrying on A hotel that wasn't in any way nearly as nice as the hotel we were staying in was absolutely overflowing with guests having a fabulous time in this beautiful spot. And back up the road in our hotel, it was mysteriously deserted. And for the life of us, we couldn't find out why. So we went back to that hotel, checked out, ran down the road with our bags and begged a room at the hotel that was occupied. And ever since then, we've had something that we call the Tretes Principle. If you turn up somewhere and it just doesn't feel right and it feels horrible, never make the most of it. Just pack your bag and go and find somewhere, find somewhere nice. But it was a very strange experience to go to this hotel and suddenly find that it was deserted. And all the time, the staff in the hotel were staring at us as if we were some sort of alien species that had arrived from <laughs> from outer space um it's very strange of course now there'd be sort of blogs about it there'd be TripAdvisor reviews you you'd kind of know what the deal was but it was before all of that connectivity had taken over our lives and it was a very very strange experience so there are thousands of others of mishaps and things that have gone wrong but booking into a haunted Deserted enormous hotel in the wooded highlands of Java was probably one of the strangest.
0: Well, and it sounds like like it must have had some sort of haunted background, or like, like there had to be a reason that people weren't staying.
2: I think there must have been some some huge sound about it. <laughs> outbreak or something <laughs> There were many really, really people who didn't know about it. who knows who knows and java has uh those of people listening to the podcast who've been there. Java does have a very uh it, it has corners of it that are somewhat kind of mysterious and spooky is the wrong word because it's a friendly welcoming place it doesn't feel haunted, but it does have you, you you feel in Indonesia, or certainly in, in remote, rural Indonesia sometimes, that the sort of spirit world is never very far away. And that's certainly, that's certainly how it felt.
0: And was the new hotel, like, did it end up working out there?
2: Yeah, it was great. It was like, just like a regular, nice kind of middle-of-the-road hotel where everybody was having a great time. So quite what had gone on, we'll never know.
0: I do think it's interesting like like you say um nowadays you would find it written about everywhere and there'd be warnings in fact it could even become an attraction because it doesn't have people like i don't know the US right now is having a resurgence of haunted hotels um, that have had a lot of murders stay there or like murders happen which is too creepy for my blood but <laughs> some yeah, yeah. people like it
2: <laughs> yeah well there's a hotel like that in in the Indonesian Highlands, if anybody's interested.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll put it on the map. We'll make it like one of the top 10 most haunted places in the world, even if it isn't.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, so my story uh, that I like to share to even the playing field a bit, since you shared a travel mishap, um, is also about a haunting. Um, it's, I don't know, I'll preface this. I don't know if I believe in ghosts, um, but... I have a healthy respect for ghosts in case they do exist. I'm going to hedge my bets. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd rather it's it's like you don't eat food off the street because like you're like, well, I could be fine. But just in case, I'm not going to do this. So um, I spent a few years living in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which was the site of the Halif- 1917 Halifax explosion, um, which is. Halifax is quite it actually feels a lot like the UK and quite a bit like London in some senses even though it's much smaller um but it gets very foggy and it has a harbor that's kind of like the Thames a very big popular port that like people have to kind of pass through um it actually is one of the few ways you can get out to the Atlantic Ocean from within Canada so um at one point in 1917 Two freighters were passing each other, um, but it was really foggy. So they couldn't, like, they had their lights on. It was all proper um, on one of them, actually. The other one didn't, because the other one was secretly carrying weapons for the war um, mm-hmm. and didn't want to be known um, that they were heading out to sea full of weapons. So the other freighter, it's really like foggy. You can't see ahead. Um, even though they have their lights on the other the two they just can't see each other so they end up colliding and it ignites all of the weaponry aboard this ship and it sends an explosion through the city of Halifax the majority of the city was decimated like just complete rubble so there was actually um, I went to the university there and it's I would say like it takes about an hour and a half to walk from the like the pier to the the actual university it's also mostly uphill so it's quite hard to get there but half the buildings at the university were shattered like just that's how ginormous the explosion was so because of that there's a lot of ghost stories in halifax i'm gonna stop for a second because there's another reason there's a lot of ghost stories in halifax um, everyone's heard of the titanic quite a popular i mean obviously mm. um, it was built in belfast but it actually crashed just outside of Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. Um, and the way the current is, it even though it crashed closer to Newfoundland, all the bodies washed up in Halifax. Oh,
2: so wow. I never knew that.
0: So there's actually the largest cemeteries for the poor people that died aboard the Titanic are in Nova Scotia, even though none of them are from there. Um, and there's huge cemeteries. But so the city has this quite haunted history because of these two events. So even though one didn't really happen there, just like they kind of drifted over, people Mm. believe that they're quite unsettled because like they're not home. So Mm. you can actually do ghost tours and stuff. Again, I'm a wimp. So I would not like, just, I don't know. I don't really want to walk alone at night, let alone like walk alone at night next to a potential ghost. Um, But there's this one restaurant that's like my favorite restaurant um, in Halifax called the five fishermen that is this weird unique place because it just seems like a beautiful restaurant it has like that like classic 1950s feel of like the red like kind of velvety chairs and like the beautiful like kind of gold gilded columns in the middle like trying to be almost romantic and roman and yet it's just a little like restaurant in Halifax and Halifax is very small. Um, they do some of the best fish highly recommend a visit, but it's a unique place because before it was a restaurant, it was a morgue. Um, and it was the morgue that processed the bodies from, uh, the Titanic and from the Halifax explosion. So it's It's one of those places where like, I didn't know that when I first ate there, but they're really proud of the history. So the wait staff will come up to you and say, do you know what this place is? And you go like, no, it's a restaurant. Like, what, what are you talking about? And they're like, no, 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 let me tell you. And so the first waiter I had there, um, I think was actually a waitress. She, like, I was, I think I was with my mother, and we were not expecting this. We were like, Oh, a nice dinner. Like, I'm a student, I just want someone to like pay for me to eat something other than like craft dinner and like cafeteria food and stuff. So, I'm like, Yeah, I'm gonna get scallops or something. Instead, I got a horrifying tale of all the ghosts in Halifax. So, I'm gonna share a couple now. Um, so There's the usual spookiness of the restaurant where the wait staff say that when they're closing, they will hear noises. Um, They'll especially hear moaning and things like that. And things will start moving. Someone will like push something off a shelf in the kitchen or doors will swing of their own accord, things like that. Which like, I wouldn't work there personally (laughs) because of that. Um, But there's also, there's one building just across the street. And if you look at it, there's the profile of a woman in the glass Um, and it said it's because when the Halifax explosion ripped through it, like the, I don't know, somehow the way the particles happened, it was like the outline of her face was in the glass but that class has been changed about 10 times since then, and it keeps reappearing. So it's like, oh, well, I'm giving myself chills just thinking about it. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of things like that. They still have, there's also uh, the Citadel Hill, which is a really popular fort. So they believe that that's haunted by some of the um, people who died from the explosion because they want to take it out on the military, things like that. So, I mean, not quite as, fun as yours because you can't escape it and move to another hotel you have to leave the city but yeah I think there is like some spookiness everywhere and it's uh yeah. I don't know is it not quite what I expected because I thought this was just a cute charming university town
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no places have a feel right they have a feel and very hard to very hard to avoid that if if you sense it you kind of sense it and you know it yeah I'm sure that's yeah right.
0: Well, and I think it's, it's hard in Atlantic Canada too, because um, that was where the first settlers came. So there are a lot of cemeteries out there because historically more people have died in those areas because they've lived there longer. So um, like Prince Edward Island, it's often joked that it's basically like the land of red sand and cemeteries because everyone kind of jokes that people go there to die because there's so many cemeteries. But I think it's actually because like people have just lived there for so long because it's where people first settled. So that I think cemeteries alone can lead to Mm. some creepy stories. And I'm sure that there's like some haunted hotels in Halifax too. There's um, Mm. a few different ones downtown, like the Lord Nelson, which is quite old. And I mean, it's kind of the place that university kids go to like, they'll rent a room and have a party or something in it. But it also has that like antique historic feel. Um, so I'm sure that there's a blog or two out there with some ghost stories about that one.
2: Well, there's an interesting connection as well, Nina, because the, one of the reasons why Saint Kilda, the island in the Hebrides, was eventually evacuated. was because the population had become too small and too old because of um, people emigrating from, from the island. And of course, a lot of those people would have ended up on the eastern seaboard of Canada. Oh, wow. So much emigra- emigra- emigration from the Hebrides to to Canada in the 19th century and right through into the early early 20th century. So it's it's quite possible that the descendants of the last few generation of Saint Kildans, native Saint Kildans would have would have ended up in in that part of Canada.
0: That's incredible. I mean, my family on my dad's side emigrated from Scotland in the UK, so uh, mm. and they were lowlanders. Our last name apparently Clapperton literally means lowlander, which I didn't know, um, right. but was sad to hear once outlander came out and I was like, oh, that's such a cool term. And it's like, no, you're not them. <laughs> you're the bastards down south who like weren't as fun.
2: <laughs> Funny.
0: Yeah, amazing. So I always like to kind of wrap it up after everything's gone wrong with travel uh, to remind our listeners about why we put up with all of this. So would you share a travel triumph, please?
2: Well, I had um, a very life affirming experience that was born out of a slightly harrowing set of circumstances. And the details of this are, uh, are in the book, but I was in um, Bogota in Colombia, the capital of Colombia in South America, and for a variety of reasons was helping to support a children's charity there. And this is a children's charity that looks after orphan children who have had the most desperate lives. And I won't go into now the sort of background to what a lot of these children have been through, but it is as bad and as awful as you can imagine. And one evening I found myself visiting the, the hostel where essentially it's a residential hostel to take in street children who who living very desperate lives and these kids are very very young and they've undergone and endured things that frankly the rest of us can, can barely even begin to imagine what their lives must be like. And there was one particularly young girl at the hostel or just outside the hostel and she had had as bad a life as I've ever heard any human being to have had and the things that had she'd had to put up with and had been inflicted on her and, and endless, endless types of abuse and drug addiction and all sorts of things that very, very, she would have only been maybe 12 or 13. Um, and I was listening to the story and I don't speak Spanish, so this was all being translated for me and i was listening to the story and it was in a very dangerous part of town it was very late at night i felt very very unsettled because of the personal risk to my security i felt very unsettled because of this very immediate exposure to people whose lives are very very different to mine and i and and when it's happening to children it always seems like a million times worse than than if it's happening to adults anyway in the middle of this conversation where i was sort of in close to or in tears listening to what was happening. Um, She suddenly stopped and she looked at me and she said, who on earth cuts your hair? Now, it turned out that one of the remedial things they do with the kids is try and teach them some sort of useful trade so they can break the cycle of poverty and addiction and abuse and kind of get on in society. And one of the skills they teach them is to cut people's hair so that they can find work as hairdressers. And this poor girl right in the middle of all of of this and my friend who I was with explaining to me what her life had consisted of and listening to her story, she was so horrified by how badly my hair was cut that she insisted on kind of giving me, not a haircut quite, but a sort of explanation of how I should have my hair cut properly. And so the evening ended in this extraordinary moment of her being indignant on my behalf that my <laughs> hair hadn't been better cut and leaving me with very, very direct instructions of what to tell my haircutting person next time, exactly how to have my hair cut. And it was one of those moments where the, the sort of slight trauma of the whole situation kind of etched itself on my memory, but so did the life-affirming nature of this encounter with this young girl whose life had been framed and shaped in a way that is barely imaginable and yet she still had this extraordinary amusing impassioned human response to something as trivial as the fact that here's a middle-aged man from the uk whose hair has been cut very badly and it's hard to it's hard to get over really just kind of It was was amusing and life-affirming and memorable in equal measure. Uh, Just how on earth did I ever end up in the back streets of a really dangerous city in a really dangerous part of town, talking to people who society has forgotten or chosen to ignore? And then out of that comes this warm, affectionate, Reaff- reaffirming of the basic human values encounter, uh, it was it was just great. And I thought, if you just stay at home all the time, you're never going to you're never going to learn all these different lessons. Learn these lessons about compassion and the need for us to sort of look after and take care of people who society has chosen to leave behind, and at the same time to sort of realise that they have they have spirit, they have character, they have determination, and that they have the capability to overcome the most direst of circumstances. So that taught me a lot that evening in Bogota.
0: Yeah, I've had a similar experience, actually, when I was in Morocco. Um, And I think you're right, it's you don't learn these things if you're sitting at home like you can I don't know, you can watch that one commercial where Sarah McLaughlin sings over the shelter dogs and things like that, or like the like those little infomercial kind of things and think yeah. that you understand the hardships of the world, but you can't until you meet the people talk to them like when i was in morocco um i wanted to take a baking class but i wanted to do it ethically so i found um this place called amal nonprofit and they um they run kitchens and stuff around the or around uh, marrakesh but this particular one um the women that they hire are women who kind of they need to support their families, whether their husbands don't work, they're widowed, they need to get out of an abusive relationship, whatever, or they don't want to get married in the first place, but they aren't taught the skills that they need. So this place says like in exchange for like you helping us like do these classes and stuff. um, And like, we'll teach you English. We'll teach you some skills. We'll get you into business. Um, The woman that I spoke to wanted to be a lawyer and coincidentally my entire family are lawyers so i was like okay let's talk um but it's so lovely cuz you learn about these people you learn about what it's really like not what the guidebooks tell you it's like cuz i don't know a guidebook can tell you that life is hard for some people but like they're not really going to focus on that or if they do they kind of glorify it in a way like they come from like hard things but then they like succeed and they're amazing and it's like yeah but you're not telling us the middle bit like how they did that and why it's so hard
2: mm. yeah no it's uh, as, as you say there are there are mediums through which we can get glimpses of that and get a sense of that and television does really good things in sort of making the world feel more intimate and making us feel a sense of kind of co-responsibility sometimes for what's going on but there is nothing quite like that graphic intimacy of being up close and personal with people whose lives we we can up until that point we can only really imagine they exist
0: yeah and for it, sure. and it doesn't it doesn't
2: it doesn't need to be a depressing experience it can be mm-hmm. we can uh, we we can learn we can learn very positive and inspiring lessons from those kind of encounters
0: well, and I think we also learn like human resilience. Cause I mean, when you come from like a developed Western country, you're kind of used to everything being a certain way. And you, I don't know, sometimes I wonder like, I think I like, I'm quite a soft person. I'll be honest. Like, I don't think I could handle a lot of hardships and things like that. Like that, I don't know when I think of like how we evolved to be where we are above other mammals, I'm like, yeah, I was, I would have been lost down that evolutionary ladder a few times over at this point. (laughs) It's like, um, it's like that story of the time machine where, um, they progress forward and they see that like the humans have become these like soft pink things that like can't function basically like can't handle hardship. Um, But then you see people who like actually have a hard life and you remember that like, no, humans can do a lot more than you think. And Mm -hmm. it's important to support those people and to, yeah, like do what you can. And I, I'll be honest, like I'm not a big fan of um, volunteer trips and things that are, I don't know if you have them as much in the UK, but when we were young in Canada, it was like, oh, go to Africa and like be a doctor. And I'm like, I'm 15. How am Like, no, I can't be a doctor. So I think doing it in a way where you're actually supporting the people mm. and actually, yeah, like learning about them and interacting with them. And whether it's through an organized trip, whether it's through like travel and just meeting the locals and kind of learning about what you can even like one of my mom's favorite things to do is to talk to the taxi drivers because like Mm. she'll get their full life story in the 20 minute ride from the airport Mm. but you learn so much that
2: way Mm. no for sure you do for sure you do um no it's it's easy to sort of try and insulate yourself from from those kind of encounters and for some reason people people do but People generally repay your curiosity and authentic interest in their lives by sharing, sharing an extraordinary insight into kind of how other people, how other people live. But you're right, for virtually the whole of human existence, our lives have been unbelievably tough and hard. It's only we've all we've all grown soft in the last century or so as, as creature comforts and material comforts have become sort of embedded for many of us at least. Uh, sort of integrated into our lives
0: Mm -hmm. and i think especially during covid like uh i don't know i thought this would like bring out the hardiness in people but i think a lot of us with the amount of oreos and things we've consumed we've gotten a little bit softer (laughs)
2: yeah 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 no the auto supplies have got through basically haven't they that sort of uh, (laughs) ahead of the vaccines
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly well this has been amazing richard and thank you so much for joining me on tripping up
2: No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank you. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.
0: I hope that really got you in the Halloween spirit because it definitely did for me. I'm still not sure if I like believe in spooky things, but I'm scared enough to like have a wary apprehension. So we'll say thank you to the ghosties for our lovely podcast today. And also, thank you to Richard Fenning. Richard is an amazing author who I highly recommend you check out. Richard was born and brought up in the north of England and spent 14 years as the CEO of Control Risks, a global consultancy that specialized in helping businesses out of tight and difficult spots in countries from around the world. Now he's a leadership coach who helps other people get out of these tough spots. His memoir, What on Earth Can Go Wrong, is Totally in the realm of tripping up. So, if you enjoyed this podcast, I think you'll really enjoy this book. Richard, uh, in his book, talks about three decades of advising multinational companies on geopolitics and security crises. He's been through kidnappings, terrorist attacks, coupes d'etat, which I probably said wrong, <laughs> corruption scandals, cyber attacks, earthquakes, hurricanes, and more. He's dealt with literally everything you could think of in terms of business side of things. And during that, he had some pretty amazing things go wrong. If you read the book, you'll be taken to the battlefields of Iraq, to the streets of Bogota, to the steamy Niger Delta, to the chill of Putin's Moscow. And that's directly from the book's back cover because I couldn't have said it better myself. I highly recommend you check out this book to learn about the insights on people and places that Richard met along the way. It has a lot of heart and really shows you that people are the thing that connect us all, which is kind of the moral of this podcast, which I didn't really expect. For more from me, check out ninaoutandabout.ca. Got some great articles, even some spooky ones that'll get you in the Halloween spirit. Well, we'll see you next time with another amazing guest. Cheers.